Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everybody. I'm Seth Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Today's guest is Steve Liddell, the founder of Street Science. Steve is passionate about all things STEM and wants Aussie kids to be passionate about it too. He started Street Science in an effort to bring science to life. His engaging shows and hands-on workshops put the fun back into facts. He's gone from a one-man show to a team that tours the eastern seaboard, firing up kids' love of learning. He's here with me today to share a little of the journey. Steve, so nice to have you on the show today. G'day, Ceci. Great to join you. Now, what I'm wondering is, were you the little kid that was in the backyard with the Coca-Cola and the Mentos? <laughs> Did your your passion for science start at an early age? Yeah, I was one of those kids who um, who was definitely um, intrigued by the world around them. I'm not sure if I had the Coke and Mentos. We might have been back uh, before those days, but... I think I can track it back um, to probably when I was seven, eight years old and I got a watch um, for my birthday. And a few days later, my parents busted me in the garage and had a hammer and I was going at it and I was breaking it open to see how it worked inside. And obviously they were uh, they were a little bit upset, but at the same time, probably a little bit excited. But, um, but you know, I was wondering how things work and why stuff happens. And I reckon that's probably the origin, mate, of, um, of my intrigue for the world. <laughs> Probably not what they expected from giving you the watch, but... <laughs> In hindsight, the value they got out of that uh, $5 prezi, mate. Who knows how things would have turned out otherwise. <laughs> so from there through high school and uni, science was always the passion. It was always what you were going to do. Well, yeah, it was, but certainly in a different way. So I went through high school on the north side of Brisbane, graduated um, back in 98, and I went on to do an environmental science degree. And I thought in graduating three or four years later, I'd be a ranger. So working um, in the national parks, cutting four-wheel drive tracks, looking after injured and sick animals, that sort of stuff. And I graduated, um, I think, in 2002, and there were just no jobs out there. So I graduated this green, inexperienced um, environmental scientist, and I just couldn't pick up work. So my career really evolved from there. So I went and did landscaping just so I could be working out there in the uh, outdoors. I went away and travelled through Europe for 12 months and then I came back and I wanted a job where I was really guaranteed work. And uh, my wife or the the lady that I was dating at the time who became my wife, um, she was a nurse. And the, the career that got me excited was education. And I thought teachers are always needed. It's a really respected uh, career choice as well. So I went away and did my Bachelor of Education and then went on to become a high school maths and science teacher on the north side of Brisbane. And then when you got in the classroom, what were the realities of how science was being taught? Was it pretty dull? Oh, look, I loved it. Um, I was in a great school. So I was in a co-ed school. So boys and girls, 
in high school, so your first few years as a teacher, you generally work with your grade eights, nines, tens as you learn your trade. Sort of five years later, I was working with the seniors. I wrote a new science course for them. We had great support from the PNF, so they were, you know, really keen to get some great resources into the school. But what I found, the kids absolutely loved it when you rolled in as a teacher and you were excited about the content. You tried innovative ways to get them engaged, but the reality of being a teacher these days is more and more red tape. There's less stuff that we're allowed to do within our labs as a teacher these days, which is fair enough because you do get, you know, the odd cowboy teacher and not thinking about the risks that are associated with teaching science. But what really sort of got me bogged down was the black and white of teaching and all the assessment and the reporting and then the data collection sitting on top of that. And it became less about engaging kids and teaching them about the world and more about this massive data trail. And for me, I just reckon if we're educating kids, we need to get them excited. So what I did, I did eight years of teaching, you know, and I was teaching maths and science and a bit of PE. I did some business studies in there. I taught religion as well. And I loved it. But five years in, what I did, I started to climb the ladder. And instead of going down an academic pathway, I took a, uh, a pastoral pathway. So rather than writing programs and writing fresh piece of assessment, what I did was behaviour management and looking at the student from a holistic approach and dealing with some of their poor behaviours. And what I noticed through that was you've got kids who are rolling into one classroom and they're great and they're engaged. And then they're walking into another classroom same kids, same school, same day, and they were playing up and getting in trouble. And what I did was I, I started to investigate that a bit more, and what I found was it really came down to the way the teachers taught the content, so their pedagogy and the way they engaged the kids. And I thought, you know what, I want to get out there and I want to model best practice for teachers, and I want to get out there and I want to genuinely get kids excited about learning science. So I got out of high schools, I went and set up my business, Street Science, and now we work with hundreds of thousands of kids every year, blowing their minds day in, day out, and just having a ball while we do it. So tell me about those early days when you first set up the business. I imagine you the one-man show at the time. Yeah, it was. So we're probably heading back to 2012 at this point. I picked up a federal government engaging, what was it called? Um, engaging science grant, something like that. And, uh, and it was small. It might have been $5,000, something like that. And what I did was I booked a couple of motel rooms, one out in Toowoomba, one in Ipswich, one on the sunny coast, one on the Gold Coast. And, uh, and I just bought some basic materials. And I, I went and did some shows in these different regions. And uh, it was just me. And look, we had two young kids and it was a big risk. You know, my missus who was nursing, who was now going on to maternity leave and not knowing when she'd go back to full-time work. I had a stable job as a teacher and I'd been teaching for eight years. So I was on a pretty good wicket there. So to step away and risk all of that to set up a business was a big call. But, you know, I think when you, you've got something that you're really passionate about, you're going to make it work if you really want to. So, yeah, it was me on my own. I did those shows, got a great response from the crowd. And I think I was on the Queen Street Mall in uh, Brisbane, if you can picture it more little stage. I did a show at about 12, 12.30 in the middle of the day. I reckon it was a Wednesday or a Thursday. No one knew I was going to be there on stage. And people just came by and they were eating their lunch and they stopped and they watched. And I was standing there teaching science. And I normally work with kids, you know, who are maybe eight to 18 years of old, but you've got 30, 40, 50 year old business people walking past and they just stopped and they engaged. And someone said, hey mate, do you do kids parties? And I thought, 
no, I don't. But yeah, sure, I can. And um, so a couple of weeks later, I did a party for their kids. They loved it. Word of mouth started to kick off. And we just built the business from there. It's pretty amazing, all because you decided to back yourself. Yeah. And look, I had doubts, of course, early on. And um, I spoke to lots of people and plenty of people said, Steve, are you sure, mate? Um, you know, you're taking a big risk here. Are you sure you want to do it? And I thought, ah, you know, you only live once. I didn't want to be one of those teachers who's in the classroom 30 years later and doesn't want to be there and sort of looks back on those opportunities when you could have done something about it. So, look, I'm really glad that I took that leap of faith. And uh, I think if you work hard enough and you've got something that's uh, a concept that's innovative and a bit creative and you can actually find a little niche market there, then I reckon you've got to put your head down and go for it. And now almost a decade later, you're working with schools, you're working with the education department, you've got a team. Yeah, we've got a good-sized team. So um, Kim, my beautiful wife, she actually left nursing probably about five years ago and she works in the business um, part-time, so she works around our kids. We've got a team of 16, so we've got probably three or four mums who work child-friendly hours, which is a really cool thing that we can provide to our employees. Then we've got half a dozen full-time science communicators, so people with either an education degree or a science degree behind them, and they're the ones who are out there being our presenters, teaching the kids day-to-day. We've got a marketing team. We've got a a labby, so a lab technician um, with a chemistry degree sitting in the lab, mixing all our chemicals for us in the background. Um, and then we've got this administration team as well. So we've got a, a nice little team there and we're working in schools five days a week. We've probably got oh, four to five teams out on the road every day and we've got a massive reach. So we're, we're talking a good 100,000 kids learning from our programs here in Australia every single year. Wow, that's actually absolutely awesome, um, especially getting kids excited about science and technology. STEM is so vital to the growth of the nation, you know. And it's a really important topic to be teaching kids and getting excited about as well. You know, and here we are sitting in 2021 with healthcare workers and scientists innovating and using technology to um, design these amazing vaccines. You know, it's scientists who are at the, uh, at the forefront who are dealing with this pandemic. So it's kids learning problem-solving skills in those STEM subjects who are going to be our leaders in the future. And speaking of the pandemic, how has COVID impacted your business? Obviously lockdown at the moment, but good and bad. <laughs> I'll take you back maybe to 2019 and give you a bit of a, an idea of the impact we were making. So 2019, we took out the Telstra Business Awards, which is for a small business owner, that's about as big a award here in Australia that uh, that you can take out. So we took that out. I'd spent the last couple of years traveling overseas, looking at international markets. I was doing the World Science Festival over in New York, had work lined up in China, Malaysia. We just toured um, for the Department of Foreign Affairs over in New Zealand. We were looking at national expansion. So based in southeast Queensland, but looking at setting up, you know, a branch in Victoria and then make our way around the country. And then the pandemic hits in March. So we're about to put our foot down. March 2020 comes. We lock down for, I can't remember, five, six weeks, something like that. But the impact on us was massive. So obviously we went five weeks without being able to run any programs face-to-face, but schools who were probably providing 90% of our income just simply didn't let us back into schools for nearly six months. So 
we found these risks in our business that we just never considered, you know, which is amazing for us to be able to work through those risks and be a stronger business for it. But gee whiz, mate, it's bloody tough when you go, you know, five, six months without income rolling in. So we just had to innovate. We had to get creative. We had to find ways to present our programs that weren't face-to-face. And we took out a few awards as a result. We took out the HSBC award for business adaptation in 2020, Stevie Award, we've just taken out the Peugeot Innovators Award, obviously, um, this year as well, for some of those products that we developed through the pandemic. It is a pretty incredible story to flip from being in schools every day to suddenly being faced with the position where, as you say, you can't generate any income in your normal way. Can you talk a bit more about the pivot to online? We'd spoken for years about setting up an online presence. So we had a couple of ideas in the background, but as soon as the pandemic hit and we essentially closed our doors for business, we had, I think, 14 staff at the time. And Kim and I, we we made the promise to all of our staff that we weren't going to let anyone go. So whatever was going to come our way, we were going to look after our staff and we were going to make sure that everyone had a job you know, later on in the year, because we work so hard to get great people into our small businesses. And I think we we can't compete with, let's say, Education Queensland or the government when it comes to um, wages and things like that. So, you know, it's really important to me to actually look after your staff and do everything you can. So we made that promise and we needed to find ways to keep them busy. So what we did day two, so we took a day leadership got together we scratched our heads and we decided to put our best foot forward and what we did was we we overhauled our laboratory so we kicked our lab out we moved some of the chemicals out of the way and we set up a little makeshift studio a couple of microphones two cameras grabbing cables from here there and everywhere we set it up we got some software and we broadcast free science lessons for the community so we're thinking southeast queensland because those kids weren't in school but we had people all over the country. I think we had six different countries tuning in as well because it wasn't just Australia who was locking down back in March, April 2020. It was the whole world who was being impacted. So we started running these broadcasts at 10 a.m. every day. And I think within five days, we had something like 2,500 logins sitting within our lessons. And there would have been two or three kids sitting around every one of those iPads or TV. So we had thousands of people tuning in and just loving it and you compare that to our state government up here they set up something called ed tv education tv it took them like seven weeks to actually get that up and running and by the time they actually went live with it schools were back in the classroom yeah so ability as a small business to pivot and get it done is such a powerful proposition and so will that online model now be a permanent part of your business moving forward? Yeah, it is. So we've actually expanded where we work from. So we've set up a second premise. So we've got our operations running from one spot on the north side of Brizzy. We've gone and set up another facility where we've got a dedicated studio. And as we speak, my team's actually in there broadcasting live to, uh, to Australia right now, which is pretty amazing. And what we did was we set up a range of new products that allow us to really scale throughout the country without having to be face-to-face. So the concept is a classroom kit where we send physical resources out to teachers wherever they are in the country. And we've gone and recorded lessons that they play and they shoot it up onto their big screen in the classroom. And the teacher simply becomes a facilitator. So you've got a scientist 
or an educator from street science standing there essentially in their classroom, but virtually teaching their students. And all of a sudden, the teacher just cruises around and helps the students as they see fit. So we've got this new product range that's really scalable that, um, you know, the pandemic has really caused us to create. And we're, we're finding a solution for our problems in the market that we never even considered before. And your background, obviously, teaching in high schools would have paid off there as well. You'd know the problems that students that students and teachers have. Yeah, it, it's always on my mind. So people say to me, you, you know, what do you do for a living, Steve? And I'm a now I'm a business owner, and you know, I'm still an educator. But it all goes back. Education is really at the at the core of everything we do. So I continue to sort of think back to the days when I was in the classroom. I think, well, what do the teachers need? And what do the students really want? And we've really tried to build our product range around the needs of the market as a result. And, and we're really seeing some great uptake. You know, and a lot of schools engage with our products, which is brilliant. And my presenters, when they come back at the end of the day, as exhausted as they are, it's pretty rare that someone will walk in where a student hasn't tried to give them a hug or a high five or a fist bump and say to them, hey, this is the best day of my life. That, that's the response that our presenters get every single day when they're out there in schools. That's pretty awesome feedback. Pretty <laughs> cool. Yeah. That. <laughs> um, do you still get out on the road? Do you still do any presenting or you're, you're Mr. Business now? Yeah, I do. Look, I, I really miss it. I miss working with the students face-to-face. So I do get out there now and then, certainly not as much as I'd like to because there is always so much to do from a business owner's perspective. And we've grown it from, like I was saying earlier, from one person, from a sole trader, to build it into this beast that it is. And we're always innovating and trying to, um, you know, look at what the market's doing and keep innovating for the future. But yeah, I do get out there. I do more digital stuff these days. So I'll produce digital content, which is, you know, highly scalable. And I do a lot of digital broadcasts. So if we have For example, in a couple of weeks' time, it's National Science Week, which is a big deal um, for science educators around the country. So we've got some work down in Sydney and we're unable to travel down there this year. So I'll do that from our studio. And I think we've got 50 schools who are all tuning in at the same time. So just that one broadcast, by using the technology, I'm going to be able to engage with maybe... I don't know, three, four, five thousand kids through that hour, which is pretty powerful. So you mentioned just a few minutes ago about going from a sole trader to this beast of a business. What yeah. was the, the biggest challenge for you in making that transition from the guy who was doing everything to the guy who's now employing staff, looking after a, a big business, managing the day to day? Yeah, I can't put my finger on one. I can't put my finger on probably the top 20 challenges because, you know, as you grow, you just continue to find these new glitches and these new issues. Um, And and that's a part of business growth. And that's what makes it exciting because you've always got these challenges to overcome. But for me, early on, a big challenge was recruiting people who you can really back to sell your brand and to love the you know, your little baby as much as you do. That's something that when I talk to small businesses who are looking to grow, something that they really struggle with these days. You know, because you put so much effort in and, and you're carrying all the risks. So to bring someone else in, pay them 60, 80 grand out of your back pocket to, to do a job, it's a big risk for small business owners. So that was something for me that I struggled with and I found some wonderful people and we've had people come and go through our business as well and we're better for that experience, don't get me wrong. But then the other thing I suppose as we started to grow, 
would have been understanding your business structures. So having things set up correctly the first time so you're not restructuring your business, you know, moving from trusts to corporations and moving from a sole trader to a partnership to a to a proprietary limited company, all those sorts of things and getting good advice early on so that you can make some good decisions that make life easier for you down the track. And I think the only answer to that is you've got to surround yourself with good people and you've got to get out there and network to find those people. Yeah, I was just going to ask the hiring process. Do you, so do you look for a cultural fit for the skills? What do you look for when you're hiring someone to join your team? We get inundated when we look for staff, whether it's an administration role or let's say our presenters, because they're the people who are out there really representing our business on the front line being seen every day. So if we talk presenters, let's say we've got two full-time positions opening up at the start of the year, we'll have 150 overqualified people throwing CVs on our desk. And what we really look for is not so much how many degrees have you got, but how are you going to fit into our culture? Because you need good people and you need people who are happy coming to work and who really want to live that dream and and chase that vision that you're setting for the business. So culture's huge. Are they going to be a good fit? Do you feel like they're actually going to hang around for a little while or are they just looking to come in and grab some skills and then move on? And then, of course, do they have the, um, the obvious qualifications to get them in the door? But you can learn so much on the job. And lastly, I guess I'd really like to know why we need to be getting our kids interested in STEM. Look, science, technology, engineering, maths, they're huge um, areas of growth. So where I was saying maybe 20 years ago, I struggled to get some work as an environmental scientist. I reckon these days we're so much more conscious of the environment. It's in the media and it's, it's really under our nose. So I think where there might have been a shortfall previously, there's a lot more positions and that's only going to grow. But really at the core of it is those problem-solving skills and the ability to think outside the box is a skill set you get when you go and study um, technology or you study science, you know, engineering, maths as well. So I think it's just simply setting kids up with skills for jobs that maybe don't exist at the moment that are going to be created over the next 10, 20 years. Awesome. Thank you so much, Steve. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Good luck with the business moving forward and I hope we all get out of lockdown soon and you guys can get back to doing face-to-face. Yeah, I can't wait. And always great to have a chat, Seth. Thanks, Apes. Thank you. Bye-bye.